and welcome to Vistapulse, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Priscilla Charles, and today I'm joined in studio by not only one, two, but three special guests for a special episode of Vista Talks for International Women's Day. Welcome, uh, Paola, Dominica, and Monica. We're delighted to have you today. Thanks. Good to Thank be you here. Because- Thank you, Thank you for having us. Well, thanks to you all. Uh, so um, for those of you who wouldn't know uh, Paola, Monica, and Dominica, uh, Dominica is a strategic accounts at Vistatech. Uh, Paola Mansour is machine translation specialist, and Monica Bugel is language services manager at Vistatech. So without further ado, we're going to get started and get to know you a little bit. And then discuss, you know, um, important topics in relation to International Women's Day. So first, uh, can you tell us maybe a little bit about yourselves, your background and your career up today? So the three of you uh, work for Vistatech, and I'm really curious. Mm-hmm. Sure, I can start. Go ahead, Paola. Um, I'm Paola uh, Mansour, and as you said, I'm uh, working as a machine translation specialist at Vistatech. And it's a very exciting role because I have the opportunity to implement machine translation solutions across the board and work with many different uh, teams. So I'm always learning. And well, that's my profession, but uh, my vocation is translation. Uh, I'm a translator and I've also worked as a localization project manager in the past. Um, So I say that I'm able to wear many hats and that helps me keep uh, an open mind. Um, so I can say that from experience, if you combine your occupation with your vocation, you get your passion. And my passion is language technology, for sure, uh, which I discovered like uh, four or five years ago. So I'm happy I found it. I'm happy to be working at this today. So. That sounds great. Thanks, Paola. And uh, what about you, Domenica? Yeah, so I joined Vistatech um, in 2019 and uh, joined as a strategic accounts director. And it's also a role that I really enjoy because it allows me to basically connect with a lot of people, a lot of our customers and uh, prospects who are looking for localization solutions. And uh, kind of every day is a new adventure and every day is a new conversation with someone interesting. And uh, I think the localization industry has a lot of very interesting people. Uh, so that's what I enjoyed most. Um, like Paula, I my background is actually in translation as well. So I used to be a translator. I used to also um, pursue my kind of academic career and uh, doing PhD. Uh, actually, about Argentinian playwrights. So there's another connection uh, to Paula to where Paula is, and. Um, Then one day I spotted an ad in a newspaper that was about a a project manager in localization. And I didn't uh, exactly know what it was, but I decided to apply for it to kind of uh, break, uh, you know, a little bit the monotony of of, uh, working uh, at an university and always by my own desk as a translator. Uh, And that's how I ended up in the localization industry and went through translation, project management to sales uh, and uh, account management. So very excited to be here. Thanks, Dominica. And what about you, Monica? 
Um, I joined VistaTech less than a year ago amidst the pandemic, so it was quite uh, quite an experience. Um, I started just like the two ladies as a translator years ago, and at uh, some point I noticed again an ad about uh, an open position for a, a localization project manager. I thought it would be great uh, for a summer job. <laughs> a part-time role but uh look at me almost 20 years later and i'm still here <laughs> <laughs> so it was, um, it was it was destiny uh yes sort of and uh, i was lucky because i was exposed to a, um, a number of different roles within the industry i started as a project manager i already had a good background as a translator uh, slash editor I did um, a bit of technical work, such as bug fixing or even the DP. Um, uh, a fair share amount of time uh, spent in supply chain management. Um, and lastly, in quality management. And um, as cliche as it might sound in this industry, language is still my passion after so many years. I have recently started learning Spanish and uh, it's quite enjoyable. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, that's 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 what uh, what it is to be passionate about languages, I suppose. Uh, well, for myself, uh, I work in marketing, but I've also been passionate about languages from the start, which probably encouraged me to um, move abroad, being French and uh, loving English, speaking English, working in English all the time. And I also studied languages, which I don't know, something I don't necessarily talk about uh, as often as I should, uh, uh, English, Spanish and a little bit of Russian as well that I gave up a bit, but uh, yeah, so so here we are. Uh, so now I'd like to talk a little bit about the International Women's Day, which we know uh, is uh, happening uh, next Monday on the 8th of March. Uh, and obviously it's a fantastic um, opportunity to celebrate women all around the world. So this year the theme is Choose to Challenge with um, a new pose being uh, the hand raising. And why is because, uh, yeah, exactly, Paola, the idea is really to choose to challenge and calling out gender bias as inequality. So I'd like to get your thoughts a little bit about what, what do you think about this particular theme and the importance, you know, what, what does this day mean to you? Yeah, uh, I when I saw that this year's theme was choose to challenge, uh, I really liked it. Uh, first of all, I think it has a really good potential as a social media campaign and kind of allows people, you know, to show the hands, strike a pose. It's a kind of a power pose because it means that, first of all, you choose not to be silent. You choose to speak up. You choose to call out certain things or biases that you see around yourself. Um, and uh, also the idea of, you know, challenging the status quo and kind of going uh, more towards gender equality. I think it all uh, kind of adds up. And um, when I was thinking about it, I kind of thought about the, the thing that perhaps we as all women sometimes do based on our, I don't know, education, history, um, and it's this self-silencing. I don't know if you experience that while uh, kind of learning new, for example, a foreign language. But I was one of these people who, for example, when I learned French, uh, I was kind of scared or awkward in speaking out in the beginning. I thought that first I have to, you know, 
speak perfectly, not make any mistakes. And only then I can kind of, you know, raise my hand and say, uh, you know, this perfect sentence. While then I observe other people and sometimes they were boys, you know, who just didn't care whether they made any mistakes. They, they just talked and it made them kind of learn much faster as well and, and gain uh, kind of more confidence as they went. So I think that's something that we have to remember about also now kind of in our current jobs uh, to, to always um, don't think that we need a master thesis, several publications and articles to speak. <laughs> You know, because as women, I think we have this strive towards perfection, um, but just speak our truth and, and make sure that we are present at meetings and so on. Absolutely. And not be shy. I think yes. that's that's a very common thread. Uh, what you uh, just said about boys being uh, brave and not being scared about making a mistake. Um, sometimes we as, um, you know, women, we are holding back uh, because we are we are shy, we're uh, modest, we're humble. This is what we are still often told by our parents, by the society. And it's um, some of us may find it difficult to speak up, to raise a hand, ask a, a very good, a very pertinent, yet maybe a little bit uncomfortable question and uh, call something out. So um, I find this initiative to choose the challenge uh, a very, a very much needed one. Yeah, I, I agree with the ladies. Um, I was thinking about why is it a challenge, right, to call out, um, for example, gender bias and, and gender inequality or thinking about all that. And I was thinking that is a challenge because it, it has become kind of normal, these kinds of behaviors. So um, I have to relate it to my work uh, and to the, it is gender bias to the extent that, for example, a machine translation engine, they choose either masculine or feminine gender for some job positions uh, on languages that do require a grammatical inflection you know, for, for gender. So for example, I haven't tried this for a while actually, but um, Google Translate uh, public version used to translate the, the word nurse into Spanish always as a female. And just assuming that all nurses are, are female, right? And uh, this is because the, the engines use um, internet data to learn. Um, and who uses the internet? The people, the society. So uh, what more proof do we need that uh, there is gender bias in society and, and empty engines are uh, mathematics, they are algorithms. Um, so the change needs to come uh, from society. It's, uh, so calling out these behaviors, um, I, I consider them a challenge, but it's the first step uh, towards making a change. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. No, that's super interesting what you're saying, Paula. I was thinking about that also in the context, you know, of our industry. And uh, yeah, first of all, NMT uh, kind of, um, you know, engines, but also now I think there is a lot of talk about AI bias. Uh, also gender bias, because um, we basically um, see, and I think there was a really good example a couple of years ago with Amazon. So Amazon was trying to create this engine uh, 
which was, you know, a machine learning tool that would uh, make the recruitment process faster and basically um, being able to kind of pre-select the candidates for jobs and then, you know, only a selected few would go to a um, further uh, recruitment process and interview stages. And uh, what they discovered is that, you know, they fed to the engine the data from the last, I think, 10 years of uh, profiles and successful resumes and so on. And suddenly they discovered that the engine was biased against women because mm -hmm. basically it took all the historical data where usually the male candidates were more successful <laughs> in getting certain jobs. And the engine basically identified the word women, like women's clubs, for example. I don't know, you went to a women's school or you are in women in localization or you were the captain of a women's chess team at school. And it made you, it identified you as a less preferable candidate. <laughs> so it's interesting because in the end, you know, uh, artificial intelligence is what we feed it with. It's all the historical data. I think there is this saying in our industry, garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> so uh, in a way, it, yeah, the engine got biased against women. And actually, I think the Amazon makers couldn't even fix that. They were trying to input different data, but in the end, they had to scrap the whole project and start again with better data from the outset. So yeah, it's very interesting, Paula, what you said about that MT as well. Oh, that's, um, I had no idea. That's uh, very much in a, I suppose, <laughs> not yeah, a yeah. good way. But uh, yeah, that, it is very interesting to see um, the implication of, uh, of AI machine translation in that sense, yeah. And the uh, and also in general, language-wise, the um, evolution of like, uh, of uh, and the perception of, uh, of some um, professions, you know, such as, uh, or we talk about nurses or for instance, uh, how um, actors, you know, an actor, you know, I know for instance in French, you know, the difference, there's a, a really uh, uh, important difference um, uh, in, in genders, uh, in terms of words, and sometimes the negative connotation, depending on, you know, um, uh, the gender used and the words. But uh, so I wanted to move on to uh, gender equality that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know, in all around the world, in some, whether it's, you know, different industries, it remains an issue and, you know, in some, some companies. So how is important is it in your opinion? We mentioned it's obviously one of the, of, of the topics that we, we want to choose to challenge uh, on March the 8th. Yeah, I think um, back in 2020 was the last gender gap report um, that they published. And I think the findings were that uh, we still have uh, about 100 years until we reach gender equality <laughs> in our society, which uh, seems incredible. Yeah. But um, even if you look at, the, I don't know, Fortune 500 companies and how many female CEOs uh, mm -hmm. we have. So we broke a record last year. Uh, so in May, it was published that we have 37 <laughs> female CEOs. So I think a little over 7%, but it still feels, um, I think, a weird number to say in the 21st yeah. century. 
Yeah. Yeah. Why insufficient? I agree with Tommy. Um, and speaking to the uh, to our previous topic of uh, conversation in um, Polish, um, for instance, we do not even have female uh profession names for some professions mm -hmm. like it is uh automatically assumed that a president a vice president basically all of those high-ranked governmental positions are for males only and uh, you can create a female form but it uh does not really sound very professional uh it has this uh, funny uh tone to it uh it's just how the language works and we need to remember that language is one of the most powerful tools, right? Uh, if you translate a text or if you write a text um, and it's in a language like Spanish and Paula can uh, speak to that, I'm sure, or in Polish, uh, you need to be either impersonal or if you want to make it more impactful, uh, you address the target audience directly. And uh, in those languages, you need to pick the gender of the person. Uh, for me, as a, as a woman, it's highly offensive if someone is trying to uh, advertise something or sell something and they use the male form. Um, and according to uh, many researchers done, done in the past, uh, if you have uh, a girl or uh, a woman uh, just trying to evaluate different options and um, the input, the, the the things, the data that they need to consider, it's uh, all written as if uh, men were the preferred option. They are less likely to consider this, which is, I think, why in the long run we have uh, fewer um, women in technical uh, schools uh, working um, a slightly bit technical jobs, just because they are intimidated by the language that is used. Interesting. Do you find this um, um, in in the, the technical um, in the, I can say in technical roles, Paula? What is your uh, view on this? Um, yeah, I think that the, I mean the language and how we call things is just a reflection of who we are, really. So um, to be honest, now there's a lot of uh, movements and um, there are actions to change the Spanish language actually to remove the letter O from many words mm -hmm. that the letter O is associated with a masculine gender. So, um, so yeah, we hope that uh, there are changes coming in that aspect um, because yeah, there is a difference and you can uh, feel excluded really from many of the Spanish words. Um, what I can add to, to this um, gender equality topic is that I think it's important not to deny it because I feel that um, people still, there, there are people that still deny that this happens or that this is an issue. And uh, if we can still say oh, or have this feeling that, oh, uh, this happens because of my gender, then it means that it's, it still happens, it's still within society. And um, I know that, for example, um, gender equality is one of the United Nations uh, goals. So it's not our uh, imagination, it is there. So it's important not to deny that it happens. Absolutely, yeah. And um, and um, I wanna talk about what we're talking about, gender equality. So what is the ultimate question? What does feminism mean to you? We're, we're talking about the importance of gender equality and 
the goals that you mentioned that United Nation has, because it really means, you know, that it's something that it's on everyone's agenda. And there's always this debate, if I may say, of, you know, of people saying, am I a feminist or not? Including, you know, and men being asked the questions, are you a feminist? So what do you think? To me, I think it's simple. Uh, if you stand for equality, uh, then you're basically a feminist. <laughs> and uh, I think that we went through, you know, a lot of waves of feminism and a lot of theories and a lot of kind of philosophy behind that. But in the end, to me, it's about freedom, liberation, uh, equality and standing for yourself. And um, perhaps as a recommendation to our listeners, which I think will be relevant here when talking about feminism, but also about the power of words um, that we spoke about uh, just previously, um, a, re a good recommendation would be uh, All Things Global uh, webcast with uh, Al Viva Merelo. Uh, Al is a senior global language. Um, services um, manager at Nike and he had a we had a really good conversation with him about um, you know how words can contribute to tyranny and a certain use of words uh, can cause havoc and kind of uh, just perpetuate certain stereotypes that we have about gender as well so <laughs> just a recommendation for our listeners Thanks. No, that's that, that's very useful, and I know it was a very, uh, very interesting, very popular episode, uh, and another one to come very soon. Uh, so, uh, did, you, did you want to add something, Paula? Paula, sorry, maybe. Yeah, no. The the fact that um, to me, uh, like I, I'm asked that question of Are you a feminist or are you not? Um, I'm usually not a person that uh, likes labels, um, so this question is a little bit hard for, to me because. Um, I'm still infecting a lot of things in my inner self, let's say, um, related to feminism. And I still have a lot to learn, especially about history, feminism history. And it, the, there are a lot of current views and waves, as Dom, Domi said. Um, but I was thinking about this. And to me, um, personally, feminism is like this voice, um, a voice that is always there. You know, and that it may start very low and soft, but it may get louder and that it has this um, kind of tone and this tempo that is speeding up and is asking us to keep up and to listen. So I, I think that I can hear uh, that voice very clearly, uh, but not only the voice, but the, but the resonance that it has. So it, it may sound like very poetic, uh, I'm a translator, I know. I'm a linguist, I have to, to think that this way. Uh, it may sound poetic, but it's just how I feel about it in uh, the fact that it's always with me and that it's a part of me. I think that feminism is simply a, a tool that uh, hopefully one day will get us to a place uh, where we are no longer talking about uh, women's rights, but about um, people's rights. And think uh, that not so long ago, uh, the society was livid about women wanting to have uh, the right to vote or to wear trousers or to ride a bike. And all of this is uh, pretty much the standard right now. So hopefully in uh, less than 100 years, <laughs> um, 
it will be a standard that uh, we get the same salary for exactly the same uh, job, for instance, and everything else would also be on par. So we would be talking about human rights instead of just women's rights. Absolutely, yeah, no. Um, it, a good example, you just mentioned uh, something, for instance, um, wearing uh, pants and trousers um, in France a few years ago, only maybe during the last five or so or 10 years was a law from the 18th century um, uh, preventing women from wearing trousers uh, abolished. Only that dated back from uh, the Napoleon era, which demonstrates, you know, how like incredible, like, like I mean, in incredible in a way that, that this hasn't been changed, you know, up until now. And so, yeah, it, it is a, a, a crazy example in a way that demonstrates sometimes, you know, um, uh, how um, how much we have to work, you know, uh, to uh, to. Um, to move forward and to change and to challenge uh, gender bias and gender equality. Um, so now I want to move back a little bit about the legislation industry. Um, obviously, there's different conferences and organizations that support women, and one of them uh, being women in localization that uh, a lot of our listeners uh, would be familiar with. Fantastic example of how to foster a global community for the advancements of women uh, in the localization industry through uh, networking, education, you know, events, career advancement, mentoring, but really a recognition uh, of women's accomplishment. So uh, the organization is supported by thousands of women so all around the globe and by local chapters uh, who support members locally. So um, I know that you're all familiar with the organization. Um, in your opinion, how important is it to offer a platform such as this one or, you know, for instance, Women in Tech, which is a really famous conference for, you know, for women all around the world every year? It provides a sense of solidarity. You're not alone. Um we have your back <laughs> and we can share best practices we can collaborate and we can communicate um, and inspire each other so every organization like this one has a certain role and um yeah <laughs> all hands on board and uh, i think they are playing an important role um in the industry and also for for us mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with uh, Monica and what you said with what you said, Priscilla. That um, I think it's it's important to find a place and to find other women who are you know in your industry in different roles, um, have kind of an outlook from different perspectives on uh, on uh, you know their career and how they are progressing, and. Um, highly recommend to get in touch with women in localization for for example their mentoring program you can become a mentor or you can be you know the mentoree <laughs> as well um, so i think uh, the networking cheering each other up and also meeting other women who are kind of um, in the industry is very important thanks Veronica. 
And um, so now I want to talk about um, celebrating women's achievement in general. We talked about obviously the importance of, um, of celebrating International Women's Day. Um, on top, top of your head, what would you say would be, would be interesting or any new ideas that could help, you know, um, raising awareness, you know, of some of the issues that women face or, you know, or just to, in order to help uh, celebrate women's achievements uh, on an everyday basis in a better way? Well, I'm not sure if this is the kind of celebration uh, of our treatments, of women's achievements, uh, but uh, Dami just mentioned uh, the mentorship program. And I think uh, mentorship is a very good idea. It's a way of uh, supporting, supporting each other, uh, supporting women that have a potential and that um, can really make an impact in that self-silence that we were talking about at the beginning. Um, so that we we have these space, uh, spaces and platforms that we are able to speak up and, and practice that so that we can incorporate it naturally in, into our lives. Um, so I think it's a good way to support um, growth, uh, women's growth that can lead to those achievements. Um, it will be like a kind of celebration, I think. Yeah, what I was also thinking about, I'm always very curious about those companies who have uh, female CEOs, and I also always want to learn about their, you know, leadership style, what do they do <laughs> on a daily basis, how do they manage their teams, and um, yeah, so to me, it's also inspiring to read those stories, and um I don't know, for example, we all know about the glass ceiling concept and, you know, women breaking through uh, certain um, boundaries and those stereotypes. But there's also a concept of glass cliff where whenever there is a huge crisis in a company, uh, none of the men actually, you know, applies for the big job of the CEO. It's usually a woman that is uh, kind of thrown out into the deep water uh, to, to kind of salvage the situation. There are, I think, psychological studies about that. And it's interesting to me, for example, looking at the examples of, um, so there is Mari Barra, who is the CEO of General Motors. So kind of a very masculine world and company that employs definitely more men than women. Um, and to look, for example, at the situation that she was faced with, um, I think right where, uh, when she became the CEO, uh, she had that huge recall where there was a faulty ignition in the cars and uh, basically there were, you know, some deaths involved, some personal injuries, uh, huge kind of, I think, 30 million cars uh, were recalled from the market. So she had basically, you know, an, an incredible crisis on her hands immediately and how she kind of chose to lead the company through it. And it was through kind of transparency, talking about things that nobody talked about previously and in the open and about the efforts of what, you know, the company can do and how to involve the employees. She, for example, started, I think, a helpline for employees or just like a, you know, a call service where um, they could 
alert the company if they see that some procedures are not maybe fully compliant with the safety requirements and, and so on. So that, you know, even the lowest uh, employee can say, hey, something is, is not right, working right there. Maybe we could, you know, look at it now so we avoid the problems in the future because, you know, she, she discovered that there was simply not that feedback from one level of management to the other. Um, so I don't know, I always get inspired by those stories. And I think the first story about her was that um, when she was still, I think, a director of HR at uh, GM, uh, she th they had like this 10 page book of dress codes for men and women. And since she always wants to simplify things and, you know, make things less rigid and more flexible for employees to work, she replaced these 10 pages with just one sentence. Uh, the employees are required to dress appropriately. And it kind of shifted the whole company perspective, you know, nobody was talking about women having to wear, I don't know, pantsuits and so on. It, it just, you know, it was just a matter of talking to your manager and thinking, oh, today I can wear jeans, but tomorrow we have a customer meeting, so I can dress in a different way. That's very interesting. Yeah, I hadn't heard this example, but yeah, it's a it's a great way of women leadership and uh, initiative. Fantastic, and um, and so like, what would you say in in the future if you had to think about steps uh, to ensure we're talking about challenging you know gender balance in society and creating a better um, like inclusive world in society? What would you like to see yourself in the future? Just to stir the pot, and I will have. I, I would like to ask this questions to question to Paula and Monica. What do you think about um, gender quotas in politics? In um, I don't know, in, in companies. Well, it's an interesting concept, right? On one hand, um, it encourages and enables a woman to participate. Uh, on the other hand, there are critics who say it's only because of their gender they get there, not because of their skills and, and know-how. Um, I think the quota might be very much needed at the start, but with time people will start appreciating the value that women add to organizations, to, to politics. Um, and it won't be an issue anymore because they will already have earned their, their place there. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Monica. I mean, the, it might be kind of a dramatic decision <laughs> at the beginning, but I think that eventually um, it will be, be normal. Like we need to do this in order to change things and maybe more women will be able to um, participate in politics. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a heated topic over here in Argentina. So <laughs> not going to say anything else. Yeah, yeah it's, I think it's Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Monica. No, I, I was just thinking that we need this kind of a balance um, at at all places. Uh, men and women have different uh, leadership styles, different different ideas, and they get there using different tools. Uh, they choose different uh, different routes, 
and while men are that's a stereotype of course uh but let me <laughs> refer to it uh, men are usually more daring more willing to take a risk um and they have a clear goal um ahead of them while women are um maybe less they have a cooler head so they need to wait all pros and cons they usually are more um conscious of their environment as well which in a company that is as good as they as their employees here uh, are it's not a bad thing right so um we need to have both genders at all places because they will provide all the uh inputs uh they will look at things from different standpoints and this is all complementary it's not contradictory and if you weigh more on one edge like you you weigh towards risk and everything you might end up in a situation that is not good for the uh, for the company for the organization for the country and this is where we get to this glass cliff <laughs> that you talked about yeah yeah that's true you're right and yeah i agree with both of you it's i think uh, the gender quotas are controversial and there is like you know there is this initial repulsion because it is a form of i guess sexism in order to introduce change i guess it's a it's just means to a goal because of course in an ideal world we would love to you know the candidates to be selected based on their qualifications, skills, intelligence, character, um, but and not based on their gender and the quotas basically pick women right based on their gender. But I think what convinced me back in the day were some studies that was that were made in India back back in I think 1990s and uh, basically they introduced a quota for like small rural uh, governments to have I think 40 or 50 percent women uh, so before they and they introduced a quota for a limited time so there was only like eight years I think um, so when they started, it turned out that I think 4% of women were elected to those local governments. Uh, after eight years, and when nobody was forced, you know, to pick women, it was 40%. And also what shifted, I think, you know, based on this research is that um, it was not only that suddenly people accepted that women could could be you know elected um, and and could represent them but also the shift was in the parents and what they wanted for their children so in the past the parents of boys you know wanted them to go to a university and become a doctor or a lawyer and then come back home and get married find a good wife uh, the children of uh, girls, you know, wanted them to basically marry a lawyer or a doctor <laughs> and be happy and and stay in the village. And after after kind of this experiment, it turned out that suddenly the parents wanted the same for their um, you know for their daughters to to just go to a university, study, get a good profession, and. Uh, yeah, and it all shifted. So that's that's definitely something that convinced me <laughs> to to the gender quotas. 
It's about opening certain doors, right? Yeah. That can be closed because of the way the society has been working for a while. Think about those trousers and uh, yeah. riding bicycles uh, in the past. So mm -hmm. uh, in that respect, I'm also in favor of, uh, of it, of the solution. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Thank you. And, um, and is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience today uh, uh, in honor of International Women's Day or any, um, any thoughts to leave the audience on, any quotes, anything that comes to mind uh, to finish this interview? Um, I would say only to raise your voice. Well said. And choose to challenge. Yeah, just yes. <laughs> exactly. And maybe just to pay pay attention to the language. I mean, since it's a conversation between language professionals, um, and I think Monica referred to that, you know, that um, we kind of perceive women and men um, under different labels, and we l kind of find certain qualities in men and women that are different. And sometimes we also use a very different language for men and women. So basically, I think there were also studies that if a woman is ambitious, then you would call her, you know, power hungry and uh, kind of, uh, you know, the negative connotations instead of a man who would be called driven and reliable and kind of, you know, chasing his dreams and so on. Mm, the same with anger. Um, you know, when a man is angry, it's usually because there is a reason behind it and he is raising his voice for social injustice. When a woman is angry, it's usually, you know, we say, oh, it's just her temperament, she's hormonal, or uh, she's overreacting instead of reacting. So it, it seems like women always have to give a reason for our emotions, you know, and our anger. So just to pay attention to that in, in your daily life, because I think it's very visible um, in, in our society, and just to call it out when you see it. Thanks, Dominica. What about you, Monica? Any 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 thoughts before we go? Uh, we are stronger than we think, and we can do more that many people think we can do. So let's embrace that. Thank you. Well, thank you so much to the three of you. It was a fantastic discussion, and I'm 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 excited already to be able to share with with our audience uh, uh, for uh, in honor of International Women's Day taking place uh, on March the eighth, uh, and uh, with this year's theme, uh, choose to challenge. So uh, thank you again. Uh, so it's already the end of today's show um, with Dominica D'Agostino, Paula Mansour, and Monica Bugel. So please make sure to tune in again to listen or watch uh, our next Vista Talks episode where we'll be discussing a more interesting topic with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Mr. Bye. Thank you.